Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? This week you're in for a treat. Once again it's special guest time and we have with us Ian McAllister from Giant Brain Games. How are you doing Ian? I'm doing well thanks. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and of course in the background there's Baz saying hello as well. How are you doing Baz? Hello. I'm really good thanks. It's my evil thief in a fantasy city voice here. It's the only NPC <laughs> voice I've got. I'm going to do the whole podcast like that. Yeah, governor. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I don't have Gonhar Cockney in Doskvall at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's there's a bit of that thing, everybody hates it, when some people who play a game start making in-jokes and everybody around goes, what are they laughing at? So let me clear you in. This entire podcast is an in-joke <laughs> for two <laughs> two lovely women in Skegness who play Earthdawn. <laughs> <laughs> but they do back us on Patreon and we love them for it. Indeed. So... Uh, myself and Baz, uh, along with some others, are playing in one of Ian's Blades in the Dark games. So we want to chat about Blades in the Dark today. And uh, also, Baz has had the good fortune to trot it out himself at a local convention as well. So probably has some keen insights from that point of view as well. So, um, Ian, do you want to set the scene for us? What is Blades in the Dark? So Blades in the Dark is a small indie RPG from John Harper. who does a lot of sort of small independent RPG stuff. He's a great graphic designer, great uh, great game designer. And it's set in the sort of sort of steampunkish ver- uh, Victorian city of Doskfall, uh, where there's a massive uh, electrical field around the whole city to stop uh, evil ghosts getting in from outside, which essentially traps you inside the city. You can't really leave, which means that any crimes and stuff like that that you and your cohorts commit, you have to deal with because you can't go anywhere else. There is no getting out of Dodge, that kind of thing. You have to stay where you are. You and the other players will be members of a criminal crew or maybe a mysterious cult or smugglers or something like that, maybe just straight-up thieves. Uh, and you will play anything from the guy who knows how to talk his way out of a situation to the guy who knows how to pummel his way out of a situation. And you'll go and commit glorious or, well, most likely really, really inglorious crime a lot and w- work your way work your way up the uh, criminal ladder of Doskfall to the, to the heights, probably losing a few members along the way, but that's the way it is. It's awesome. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So it is Ocean's Eleven with Paul Limes, isn't it? Yeah, that, well, that's basically what attracted me to it. I love a heist film. Ocean's Eleven is fantastic. Like, I've always been obsessed by mobster stuff and that kind of thing. So when Blades in the Dark came around, I was like, hmm, shinies. So back back to when it was in Kickstarter. I played a, a few different variations of it because it sort of evolved over the course of the Kickstarter. Uh, but the final product is sweet. It's so, so, so nice. Lovely book. I haven't got a hard copy myself, but the hard copies out there are beautiful, beautiful artifacts. Really nice things. Yeah, half my gaming feed is people taking pictures of the hard case book and showing it to me. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, the special edition one's got the shiny bit and the blades, and you're like, oh, yeah. Nice. So um, what what makes Blades a bit different, then, from uh, playing 5th edition D&D or something like that? Why can't we just pick up uh, a Lightmar setting for D&D and uh, give it a bash? So Blades is like it's a really really light. Well, it's actually fairly crunchy in the, in its mechanics, but it allows you to just focus in on the action. So rather than like like something like Shadowrun or something more traditional, will have you the players planning out their heist. Like you're going to go, go to a bank, so you plan out your heist and you gather your equipment and you do all that. And D and D games would have something quite similar to that as well. The party goes to the tavern and it goes to the the place in town, gets all its stuff together. Blades, which took me a little bit of getting used to, Blades zooms in on the action really quickly. So you decide what you're doing, like you're going to kidnap this heiress or you're going to break into a bank or whatever, and then you basically zoom to the point where you're doing that thing, and all the planning is in retrospect. So you're zooming into the action all the time, and you're dealing with just whatever comes up. There's no planning, really. It's all wherever the dice wherever the dice lie gives you what the chaos is going to be and what stops you stops you in your tracks it's a beautifully elegant little system the GM makes a little rule before any sort of um, heist happens and that tells them sort of what position you start and whether you start in like a strong position to, to go into this heist or whether you turn up and like the city guard are all standing around the bank going well come on then it's it's fantastic yeah. it just zooms into everything really really quickly so you've got you've got kind of like flashback mechanics and stuff like yeah. that, haven't you? So it's a bit like preparedness, I suppose, in Gumshoe or something, where you don't have to worry too much about kitting out with everything you think you'll possibly need. No, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So there's a there's there's two mechanics that do that. There's, there's, there's flashback stuff. So you have a every character has a stress track, which is quite important. Uh, allows you to do a bunch of different stuff, uh, like adding dice to rolls and that kind of thing. But one of the things that allows you to do is 
is do things in do things in flashback and it costs you amount of stress depending on how difficult or interesting that thing is um so if you're like going okay i have this with me that's like no stress or if it's like yeah the mayor of the town is on my side that would be too stressed and probably a scene in the flashback as well with some rules attached to it so it, it, it's up to the gm and the players exactly what that what those flashbacks look like but the other thing it has is a load mechanic so rather than like going okay i've t- got my 10 foot pole and my rope and my tiny dog or whatever uh, other games might sort of like make you write down uh, you say okay i have a light load uh medium load or a heavy load and that basically just gives you a bunch of boxes to tick off on your sheet, and your sheet has got a bunch of equipment that you can tick off. Some of which is generic to being a thief, some of which is specific to your particular character and what they may carry around with you. And there's obviously a little bit of GM fiat in there, a lot what the players can carry and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's really it's really smooth. Never had a problem with it yet. So Baz, Baz, you're used to more the kind of D and D approach to games generally. And yeah. You've had a couple of goes. As I say with Ian, and then have you been to a local con recently? Was I telling lies or was that truth? Have you tried running it out yourself? No, absolute truth, mate. Yeah, so uh, so like with many cons, you have to make a decision about what you're going to run like five months before the con comes around. And <laughs> about five months ago was when we were at peak Blade's interest in the community, probably, because um, uh, just to echo what Ian has said, I mean, this has been a really nicely run Kickstarter. It's had an awful lot of interest John Harper's been really good about just releasing the the documents as he goes. I mean, mm. we're up to about the eighth edition, really, if you or eighth revision before it's actually hit retail. Yeah, um, something like yeah. that. And it, yeah. it's it's been playable for a long time, hasn't mm. it, mate? Before it's actually been available to buy by the general public. So, and you know, and Ian's been running a really good game, and I've really enjoyed that. And I thought, well, it's right up my alley as well. So I think I think much like Ian, love a heist movie. Um, really like the novel Lies of Loch Lamora by Scott Lynch which is pretty much Blades the book um, <laughs> or Blades' Loch Lamora the RPG um, so you know all the little touchstones are there for me so cut long story short con game decided five months ago I'd run it which gives me five months of prep right no 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 so and then I I I read through the stuff and realised to my absolute horror that all of the stuff that Ian was doing so well which (laughs) with all the little plot hooks and the NPCs and the descriptions of the city quarters and the cool heist that we were on was pretty much pulled out of his ass at the last second (laughs) (laughs) lies terrible terrible lies I never make anything up on the spot. I spend weeks, months <laughs> plotting away for you guys, and that, that's this is the way you treat me. God, well, that's, that, that mate, you, you do a great job of the illusion. So if my <laughs> illusions were shattered, thinking that all I'd have to do is prep it, and then you know, I just uh, I would I would write down all my NPCs, and I would get my player characters organised, and I would think up some relationship maps, and and do all the all the stuff that's quite enjoyable. It turns out, I don't. It's not that you can't do that in Blades. But the book's really explicit about don't do that. I mean, really do not prep that because that's not the game. Um, And again, as Ian was saying, it comes right back down to the mechanics of a heist. When you go on a when you go on a job, the game is really, really good at not having you and your players spend two hours planning, which every game does. I mean, because you can rob a bank in any game, you know. And certainly there are games about that, like Shadowrun is a mission based game, but you tend to want to survey stuff and scout it out and buy your equipment and bribe guards and it's all done in a linear fashion which means the job doesn't actually happen for three or four solid sessions of play you can't do that in blade so i thought okay i will swallow my prep pride here and actually walk up to a con with nothing more than some screenshots from pinterest some index cards some dry white pens and my balls in my hand (laughs) and uh, luckily I don't know I had some really good players around, around I had six players which I don't recommend Ooh. for the first time in any role playing game um, and and two people observing because they were so interested in what this game would be like they said is it alright if I watch and I, I had genuinely run out of characters by the time we got to seven and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, better not balls this up but it went brilliantly it went absolutely brilliantly and it was some of the most fun I've had GMing in ages because I felt like I was a player in the game, a joint player. Mm. Um, and I know that sounds really obvious and anyone who's played any kind of indie game is now rolling their eyes or rolling their ears at this podcast going, oh, well, about time you caught up, mate. Earththorn finished in 1994. Come on, get with the program. But it was really good to just enjoy playing the game with no real comprehension of where it was going to go, 
how it was going to go. And we had a good time, and um, and we robbed we robbed some people, and we we ran away with the money. And I say we, you know, I'm not even saying they. It, it, it felt like a a real joint effort. But equally, it wasn't it wasn't airy fairy, hand wavy. Let's pretend we're all scriptwriters of a <laughs> film here, and occasionally get the dice out to pretend it's a role playing game. It was structured. There were rules. There were consequences, and there was danger. And so for me, it was a really nice blend. So yeah. Top times. Can I interject? Did, did you did you run the starting situation then, Baz? Did you like the the one that's in the book, or did you sort of come up with your own? Or because I am I am <laughs> run it as a one off. I've only run it as a campaign. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah. So so two things that are very very different about this to to what I would call a regular game for me. So first thing is to generate your characters at the table before we even got to the starting situation. Okay. Now normally there's at least fifty of these podcasts that would suggest do not do your characters for a one shot con game. That's that's mental. Or if you're going to do do an advance, do pre-gens, etc. But you don't have to do that with Blades. And it was it was the work of minutes to generate the characters because of the playbooks and also that generating characters as a group is really part of the game. So I think that only took about 20 minutes. Um, but it was a really good 20 minutes and it enabled us all to get a real handle on the world, uh, to get a handle on the setting and to get a handle on what we were doing. So great. And then, like you say, mate, I was sort of like, you know, uh, flicking through my PDF, sort of shaking my book, trying to find out where the starter scenario was, and it turns out that it's like five lines. Yep, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is called a starter situation. There's box text. I was quite happy with that. Some italic stuff for me to read out. I should point out that the big NPC in the game, <laughs> the big crime boss, is called Baz So Baz, which, <laughs> which had every single person around the table looking at me going, are you serious? You've, you, you've named the gang boss after yourself. I went, no, no, it's not me. I haven't named it that. That's his name. Even worse, it's his first name and his surname as well. I know. Which looks even know, worse. Right? He's, he's just so bad. <laughs> so there we go. So that was just a bit weird. Um, but anyway, we did that for a bit. Starting situation, bang, off you go. And there was a couple of little wobbles where people started to plan, but it was like, you know, quick timeout, 30 seconds, game doesn't really work like that, you don't need to do that. So honestly, guys, you've got flashbacks, you've got this, that and the other, you don't need to worry about, you know, preventative measures for everything, it'll be fine. We went back to the game, a few people went, oh right, okay, and it took minutes, no more than that, and everybody was bang into it and off we went. So it was the starting situation, mate, and then... The starting situation was super cool, and within the first half hour, and there's no spoilers here, but basically a crime boss says, "Are you are you with me or against me?" That's the first decision you have to make, right? Yep. That's that gave us half an hour of really good role playing game, and it all felt like a Steven Soderbergh movie, and there were plays being made and dialogue being spoken that in any other game I think would have felt a bit stilted or that we would have had roles that wouldn't have helped the game, mm. or we'd have been scratching our heads wondering why people were doing that and what we were trying to achieve and so on. And actually, it probably would have been a role of initiative and a fight. And that didn't happen because of the way Blades is set up and everybody was fine with that. And then we got off into the mission. So, yeah, we got a three-hour game out of a five-line scenario to answer cool. your question in a really long way. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah like I say, I, I haven't run it as a one-shot. I've only run campaigns of it. So, yeah, mm. that's cool. It's nice, to, nice to hear that it works that way. So to talk about the system a little bit more, then it, it kind of it owes a debt to um, Apocalypse World or something like that, doesn't it? It's not it's not quite the same. In fact, it's I think early iterations it was similar in that kind of roll two d six and you either like completely succeed succeed the complication or you fail, mm. uh, and it's gone down to just rolling one d six now or a number of d six and picking your best one, trying to get a six for a success, four or five is that kind of middle ground. And yeah. one to three is a fail. That's that's basically it, isn't it. So it feels very similar to Apocalypse World in that sense. But uh, if anything, streamed down even more than AW is. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I'd say that's pretty fair. It's 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 a it's a long it's a long lost child of Apocalypse World or many generations down. It's it it feels to me like Apocalypse World refined. Uh, like it's got mm. it's got that core system of yeah, you're you're of a lot of the fail forward stuff where you're rolling you'll always succeed but the how well you succeed is the thing your char- your characters will always come out of the situation having succeeded at whatever they're doing but you will come out of it bashed and bruised and barred 
at the other end with some interesting stuff to do because that's that's the cool stuff. If you succeed really well all the time, that's the boring bit. If yeah. it's, it's when you when you fail and move on, it, it, fail and move on, it's cool stuff. And the playbooks are obviously a, a sort of like um, a, a child of, of Apocalypse World as well, where, yeah. where you've got where you've got each got your individual playbook for your character, and then the crew itself has a playbook as well. I don't I don't, I don't think it is much like Apocalypse World. I can see where it's come from, absolutely, but uh, and it doesn't matter at the end of the day whether it's like Apocalypse World or not, I suppose. But but actually, I think it's 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 to Apocalypse World what RuneQuest is to D and D. As in, they're both fantasy role playing games, and system wise, you roll to attack and you roll to damage, but it's got a different way of doing it. I can see more differences, uh, and the reason I, I say that is, I think people have got an opinion about powered by the Apocalypse games. And I wouldn't want anybody who's got a pre-existing opinion about Power by the Apocalypse game to not look at Blades on that basis. Mm. Because I think it's different enough that you would, if you don't like Power by the Apocalypse, you, you, will, you will still find a lot to love in Blades and you, will, you would not see the differences. If you do like Apocalypse World, you'd be able to play Blades and go, oh yeah, I can see the similarities. Mm. So, and I, I say that because I think Power by the Apocalypse games really are a bit Marmite. Um, yeah, and I, I, do you know what? I haven't met anybody who was kicked off about Blades in the way that they kick off about Apocalypse World. Yeah. <laughs> so because <laughs> it is different, there is there is some stuff in it that is it's got it's got all the cr- all the crew stuff for a start, and I guess we should mention that, shouldn't we, guys? Because it's um it's not just you playing a single character as part of a party. Almost every game does that. You are also your crew is a character. Yeah, and it progresses and changes and flexes and grabs turf and what have you so that sets it apart immediately I think the, the raw mechanics of rolling d6s is all it's got in common and yeah you've got like three potential results but you've also got position and effect which means that there's really it's a matrix of nine possible results um, and you know lots of different ways of playing with those dice and monkeying around with stuff so I, I can see the lineage but I don't think it's the same game no that's right no de- definitely not no no uh, and it's kind of you, you're pretty um, crap at a lot of stuff, aren't you? I mean, I think that's probably something you need to sort of uh, g- get hold of when you start playing the game. That you might only have like one dot in a lot of things, so you're mm. probably going to roll a d6, unless. And this is kind of part of where the gang stuff comes into is that people assist you, or you know, you get a deal with the devil where the GM offers you like a, a naughty bargain, but you'll get an extra die to try and succeed at this thing. So. There's, there's a lot of uh, weight, it feels like, leaning on the supporting rules to help you out to actually succeed, if you know what I mean. You've not just like got, you know, you're rolling four or five dice for everything, so then you, you're likely to succeed at most things. It's it's really like, it feels like, unless it's your core thing, most of the time you're likely to fail unless you go and get some help from somewhere and, and get your gang to help you out or something like that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, and a lot of the time you're, you're liable to not necessarily fail the task, but succeed in a bad way or get or like you'll not exactly totally screw it up but it'll lead to like more chaos and more more story which is which is cool like uh the so you guys were playing a cult and my other group my local group were playing a thieves group which is the sort of default setting a set of shadows sort of thieves and the play that's come out of those two groups is quite different which is which is really nice the that the the different crew sheets actually sort of push the play in a, in a in a different direction. I had no idea what to expect out of the cult stuff, but it's been absolutely fantastic. The, the sort of creating your own god and like adhering to whatever precepts you've decided that that god uh, puts upon you is it's fantastic stuff. And you guys have all done that yourselves, which is great. I've had to do nothing. I'm a lazy GM. It's great. <laughs> That's worth mentioning, isn't it? So you've got um, it's got playbooks. Uh, so that does have in common with Apocalypse World. Yeah. Uh, equally, you could see them as archetypes or even character classes, I suppose. There's seven of those. Uh, and they're all like rogues and scoundrels, which are different flavours. And then you've got your crews as well, and there's a good half dozen of those, which is more flavour. But to be fair, by the time you've put in a, a couple of decisions quite early on in the game, and you put a couple of dots on the sheet, these characters are very, very different from each other. And you, you'll have more experience with that because you've run two campaigns simultaneously with this. I'm sure you've got the same playbooks yeah. amongst the players, but it, it. And then when I played my my third, a third version of it, I could see again no two cutters are the same. No, 
at all and it, there's not a lot of mechanical decisions to make at the start but they but you get really early you flavor your character quite heavily yeah. really early your crew puts another filter on top of your campaign and even though most campaigns will be taking place in the same city no no two people's dusk walls are going to be the same are they yeah i, th- I, th- I think that's uh, i think that's really nice that like like two cutters can be completely different in fact you could have a crew of cutters if you particularly wanted to and every single character would be different the the, the system's got a really nice light touch like it's there when you need it and then it sort of melts away into the background when you don't and then it's there again when you when you do need it you can grab it and you can grab it and let go of it very quickly which i really really like because it because it's basically so straightforward uh, and there's a lot of sort of do mechanical you find it straightforward even. then yeah you, have you found it easy to pick up right from the off because I, I've, I struggled a bit for the first couple of hours which is not unreasonable with any new game it, it, I know it's, a, it's it's relatively simple we could describe the dice mechanic now but actually yeah. in play it caused me to pause because of the the impact of each dice roll the consequence of each dice roll the times you even ask for a dice roll are not necessarily very trad no they're not um, and I think the only the difficult bit I find a lot of time is when someone like rolls like a four or five as their highest, and you have to come up with a complication or something on the spot. Mm. That is quite tricky, and sometimes gives pause. It's definitely a game that requires a fairly high level of improvisation, so that will not be everyone's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And it does ask you like it took me a little while before I got the sort of zoom into the action part correct. It took me a few mm. sessions with my local group to get that really correct, but once I got it. It was great, and mm. the, the book is extremely good. It's got a massive chapter on you are the GM, here are your responsibilities, and here is how to make blades happen at your table. But it's also got a section which is, hey, you're a player. By the way, the GM's not the only guy having to do work here. Here's your responsibilities, and here's what you need to bring to the table. So mm. it's not you don't feel alone in it. You're all sort of like you're all working together to make that that universe and that world happen at your table. And there's really straight advice on how to do that, which I absolutely love. So many RPGs don't have that. Yeah, I think one of my my favourite bits in the book is um, is where it takes you for an example of play. Mm. I love examples of play. They normally cause me to pull my hair out, and um, and some of the language still does that a little bit, where it's a little mm. bit like, "Yay, let's all go on an adventure together." What do you think, Susie? Well, John, I think that's a great idea, and it, it reads a bit like. But anyway, <laughs> then it gets <laughs> then it gets to the good bit, which is it takes you through a sample uh, a sample adventure, I guess, and and then afterwards, a bit like a school textbook, but in a good way, it says, "Okay, looking back over that, if you were the GM, would you have made the same call for that dice roll at that point, and would you have interpreted it any differently, and what would have happened if that ha- that happened?" So. It, it's, there's none of this like your warrior tries to jump over a ditch make a strength roll this is yeah. how you set a difficulty class it was interpretation and that sort of thing normally gives me like a slightly nervous a nervous heart because I kind of like it to be rules to be quite clear and structured they are clear and structured they clearly structure the fact that you there is no right or wrong with a rules yeah. call because it's not a rules call it's a fiction call um, hmm. and that that is the bit where simply rolling a d6 and looking for a 6 is fine. But you're not doing that. You're, you're also looking for what does that mean? What's the next line going to be out of the next person's mouth? And you, you can flick through the book, book as much as you want for that. It's not going to tell you, but it will advise you very, very clearly on the, the, the ballpark of responses that you can make. And to have a ballpark of responses from a dice roll is, is not obvious if you come from a different strand of gaming. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, that's what I sort of mean by like it's the, that system's got a really a really sort of light touch um, because it it does a lot. It, the book sort of gives you permission to get it wrong. Basically, mm. it says mm-hmm. like it's okay. It's your it's your version of our game. Here's what we adv- here's the advice we've given you. But if you decide to like make calls this way, that's fine too. It's your version of Dosball. And there, there's also a chapter in the book which gives you a bunch of extra mechanical levers to pull to like make it more fantastical or make it darker or that kind of, and that kind of thing. These mm. are they're all just it does feel like you're basically sitting in front of a massive sort of DJ dashboard and you're pulling whatever particular levers you want to at any particular time to make Dosfall happen in in yeah. your particular fashion. I, I'd imagine the the game, if I played in Baz's game it'd be very different from the game I run. And you would yeah. make you would make dice calls at different times and you would interpret yeah, them differently, sure. but that's fine. Mm. As long as yeah, everyone around the table is agreeing on that. It's great. So guys um I was going to ask you actually, mate. I, this I might be wrong on this. 
Am I right in thinking that like years and years ago you played a maybe maybe it wasn't you mate? Did you ever play a play by mail game where you were part of a gang, or have I made that up? Um, I used to play It's a Crime and things like that, where you had a criminal gang, yeah, and you'd send a, a, a portion of them off to go and firebomb your mates, your, your, sorry, your opponent's turf or you. That's it, yeah. Yeah, you'd, have, um, yeah. you'd set someone to try and pickpocket or you'd do whatever, and you had, you had to like work out your percentage of your gang, because you had like, elite ones and noobs and, and this, that, and the other, and you'd buy submachine guns and other stuff to go raiding and all that kind of stuff. Cool, yeah. I thought so. So, Because uh, I was going to ask you, um, what did you think of the other bit of Blades in the Dark, which is the downtime bit, and the downtime bit is where you, well, it's not nearly as dull as it sounds. I really like it. I'll put where my colours on my sleeve right there. But what what was your opinion on that part of the game, mate? I like it because it's like a little bit of uh, mini leveling up almost, because you kind of get experience of various bits and pieces. But the downtime actions allow you to do other stuff, so you can have long term projects that you kind of ticking away in the background so if you're um can't remember, a leech that's the kind of like alchemical yeah. sort of like tinkerer type one um so you could be coming up with like a new kind of poison or some compound or a, a disappearing smoke bomb or something and you can have that with your kind of uh they have these things called clocks so it's like um the color pie things you get when you play trivial pursuits or whatever like just a number of segments and you can try and you know keep that project ticking along and knock segments off that and when you fill it in then you've averted a new thing so that's quite a simplistic one but you can also uh, indulge your vice so that you can reduce stress that you've accumulated through your uh, through your adventure. So that might be going on a, a mad opium party or something. Or there's all kinds of bits and pieces like that. I think, arguably, if anything, I want there to be more things to do in downtime. You get to do a couple of things, um, but there's there's only like five or six options really. And sometimes it feels a little bit like uh, I don't know what I do, what I want to do almost. And other times it feels like I've just got to indulge my vice a lot. Otherwise, I'm going to be tr- in trauma because I've taken that much stress. I don't know what to do with myself. Um, so I like it in general. I kind of almost want it to be a bit more to it. But I think sort of uh, aligned with that as well, you've got your, your gang levels up with you as well, so you've got all your tick boxes for different bits that you can do with your gang and like kit out your den a bit better or try and increase the number of gang members you've got or make them less stupid or better armed or both. <laughs> You know, so, it's not my stuff. fault so, you chose numerous and stupid cultists, okay? No, well, well, <laughs> that was entirely your own. Right. That was entirely your own choice. It wasn't even a choice. Come on, lots of them. One positive, idiots. one negative. Numerous yeah. and stupid. <laughs> Good job. That bit of the game reminds me of that kind of play-by-mail stuff that, you, that I remember you telling me about, there, mate. I'm going to even say, um, and I don't mean this as a slight at all, is that it feels quite board gamey. Which is fine by me because yeah, I like yeah. board games, so that's all right with me. And and actually, um, when I ran this at the con last weekend, uh, a, a, we did a bit of downtime, um, but then we let it trail off because we weren't going to get time for another heist. Uh, and I had to explain it to a couple of the guys afterwards because they were interested. And they said, "But you could role play all that stuff, couldn't you too?" I mean, well, not only could you, you do. You just yeah. naturally do. When yeah. when 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 Ian's rolling, um, not rolling, when he's adding up how much heat we've acquired from how much inevitable noise and chaos we've caused on our missions that bit gets role played doesn't it like when the blue coats show up and when other gangs start taking notice so yeah it's 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 as board gamey as you want it to be but i, th- I don't think you can ever stop role players role playing and it and it's got so much flavor behind it that you you can't help but spin stories off of it and and in between each heist it's quite nice for everybody to dash off and get their own little bit of spotlight and then come back or not come back if they've been on a bender or end up in jail <laughs> there's stuff for being in prison has that happened in any campaigns yet because that, that, that looks great not yet i haven't had anyone go to jail as yet but both both groups have got <laughs> what, both groups have got one heat uh, so that means that um uh, sorry both groups got one wanted level now which means wow. the the local police the blue coats are looking at you harder and uh complete aside harper is working on a blue coats version of blades so you play the cops which could be really cool. Which could be really cool, uh, but yeah. So the blue coats are the local cops, and you your crew has a heat level that they get from each job. Uh, once that goes above a certain amount, uh, you hit a wanted level, wipe your heat out, start all over again. And the only way to get rid of your wanted uh, your wanted level is to send people to jail, or to blame other people for your crime to get them sent to jail. That's a possibility too. But once you go to jail, you could, there's a so your crew map has. Um, we haven't actually talked about claims. Your crew map has this awesome thing for the GM, where they have. Uh, they have a little map of like sort of potential things they can go and get 
So you can go and get turf, which helps you level your crew up faster. But there's also different different things depending on the 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 group they are. So like the thieves group has like a a sort of a, like an orphan network kind of thing you can go and get for like rumors across the city uh, or a gambling den. And the cult has like a, a sacred temple you can go and get, which will give you bonuses to certain things or or that kind of stuff. And they're just awesome things you can put on the map and go. Yeah, so here's the here's the missions get here's the jobs that get offered you by whatever disreputable people you're in a relationship with at the moment. Oh, and also are there, these are four claims you can go and get. What do you want to do? Go, and they just go. Yeah, and that's awesome. It's just it's just story just there. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think the only thing we haven't done, and I can't recall if there's something in the book about this, is make a little bit more of our numerous and stupid cultists because we've not really, although they're there and they've, they've kind of been extras in the scene sometimes we've not really done a lot with them have we? we've not like named no. any or they've not really been getting us in trouble or we've not actually used them uh, with any sort of like it, it has felt a little bit isolated actually and I don't think that's like your fault or mm. ours necessarily it's just that we've not really thought about it so is there something in the game that supports that or is it just really mm. we've just forgotten to try and give a couple of name and some attributes or something I don't remember it mechanically off the top of my head but you can basically send them to do stuff for you they're basically a bit crap until you get a bit higher if I remember rightly their their sort of competency is equal to your your tier so when you start out in blades you are a tier zero gang so you are literally bottom of the you are bottom of the ladder but you have a strong hold on your tier zero so the start the starting situation which we mentioned earlier is basically there's a massive uh, gang war going in a, on in a region of Doskval called Crow's Foot, and one of the guys who is fighting that war pulls you into his office and goes, are you with me or against me? That is the starting situation. And you guys want to basically use that situation to climb the criminal ladder. That is basically the setup. You can use your own setup, but that's the one the book gives you. Um, and so as you climb, as you go up tiers, your gang, your gangers, or whatever they are, get better. Uh, so yeah, that is something I should play around with more. They've got you into a little bit of trouble when they captured some of the Dimmer's men. But other than that, yeah, we haven't yeah, re- just, we haven't really used them. But yeah, you can sort of send them out to do stuff for you, and they can sort of assist you on jobs and that kind of thing as well. I'll I'll, I'll read those rules up for next time. Yeah, do that. Uh, so I think that's um, it's kind of um, it's something to think about. I think for, for anybody who's wanting to try the game, but it's kind of like also a testament to the way the game is set up, because as you both said, there's like strong advice and there's rules to do things. That just make the rest of the game quite easy and straightforward. And you just follow what you're supposed to do, and the game naturally comes out. So, mm. something like having this like gang of cultists, however, or cutthroat thieves, because there's not necessarily something in your face that you use them for, unless you take a choice to use them in the game in terms of bring them in for story, they tend to get forgotten about because you've got so many other things you can do already. So I think that they're there as sort of window dressing almost, unless you, you sort of consciously choose to bring them in and start naming a few or having a, a favourite amongst them or something like that, I guess. Yeah, there's they're, they're background characters until you go, Oi, Jimmy the Cutlass, come here, go and do this for me, or whatever you do. Yeah, you've got to get used to that, haven't you? You've got to get used to, as a player, don't sit around waiting for the GM to, to spoon Fuji with this sort of stuff because I know that Ian you would have no trouble at all if in, in any player in their action said um, I, I'm bringing Burr and Ernie with me my two gangers that yep. would be great you know and, and that's that's how you have to be it's like you can pull as much stuff into it as you want and, and it takes a little while to get used to as well doesn't it it's like oh wow I don't need to like seek permission or I'm not going to get blocked if I say I'm bringing six gang members with me because yeah. you would in most games most games I think Gaz and I have talked about this before, like with henchmen and NPCs and retainers, unless you're playing Savage Worlds, they're actually a massive pain in the ass and they're supposed to be an <laughs> asset. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the other thing I was going to ask about, it's very similar, is is about the supernatural. Mm. Um, it'd be nice to talk through that as well because that's not something that came out massively in the game that I ran and it's not been a huge part of the campaign that we've played so far. But sure. but I think it's fair to say that there's plenty of it available. Mm. Um, so so what is there? In, have you had it in your other group? Is there much ghost stuff? Uh, there's very little in the other group, actually, because we don't have uh, Whisper, which is the ah. sort of main sort of ghost uh, contacting character. Um, Sil- uh, Gaz's character is that. And we've, uh, mm. we've had a bit more... Um, of recent of like going into the ghost field and that kind of thing the other t- the other ooh, no spoilers for the world hmm hold on sent uh the other the other team have experienced the other uh the sort of the ghost field and i've described it in a sort of 
I think I described to you guys that I've interpreted it as a sort of upside down Stranger Things version of Doskfall, basically, when you when you look into it. Uh, mm. But there's a lot of stuff in the book which you can touch or not, as you wish, with the the, the supernatural. So the, the basic the basic idea is that at some point massively in the past was a cataclysm that broke apart the gates of death and ghosts and supernatural entities entered the world and that's why there's these massive uh, basically Tesla coils around all the cities uh, to stop um, uh, to stop ghosts getting in um, and that's why corpses are burnt by spirit wardens and that kind of thing to stop ghosts wandering about but of course there's black markets to deal and this stuff and all that kind of stuff um, and there's a there's a section of the book at the back which is all about sort of how much of the supernatural do you want in your game and you can actually like when your if your character if you decide your character dies at some point they can become a ghost character or they can be put into a massive mechanical husk called a hull and wander around that way or might become a vampire so there's there's a there's a set of like three supernatural playbooks uh, that you can become uh, should you wish or you could use them as an npc as well i suppose but yeah it's an, again it's another one of those sort of like those dials on your desk you can turn up or down as you need to uh, which I really like because you don't need to like people know it's a weird world, but you don't need to like throw it in their face every single every single session. Oh look, there's another ghost walking down the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this setting is not like 200 pages mm, no. of <laughs> of close attention to to a, a world that no one cares about. It, it's just a, it's a few pages gets you. In fact, we we probably read out almost all of it on this podcast. Pretty much, yeah. Crazy it, yeah. That's that's it. That that's enough to be going on with. But it is still packed with setting because mm. the rest of the, the, the what you would call traditional setting book they do as a as a gazetteer of the factions, the people, the gangs, the institutions, the districts, and it's all done in a really user-friendly way yeah. where you can flick to it, scan a couple of lines. There's some some good little buzzy phrases and a couple of little lines there and a little dot system is at a glance mm. and you can really get a sense so that, again, that goes with the with the little to no prep thing as well. As a GM, you could you could take one minute and have a, a faction in a part of the city with an artifact and a street and some names and some links and I genuinely mean in a minute. Yeah, it's, it's quite incredible how user friendly it is without making you read a massive encyclopedia. Yeah, it's fantastic. That, that faction sheet is brilliant as well because when you start out, you already have like six, seven relationships, most of them negative, with a bunch of the gangs in town. So you, <laughs> yeah. you already have a bunch of people out for you, which is mm. just brilliant. A brilliant kickoff point. Okay, so uh, I thought it, it it might be useful uh, without putting you guys on the spot. Um, Cool scenes that we have seen played out in Blades of the Dark. So, if if you guys want to do a bit of thinking on that, and I'll, I'll sort of take you through some stuff that happened in my gang, sure, uh, just a couple of days ago. So, uh, and and it's to illustrate what makes Blades a bit different. So, uh, cool scenes in my game included uh, one of the characters is playing a character uh, who is uh, super stealthy, even for a, a thief or a rogue, um, and has sort of all kinds of like almost supernaturally. Uh, good disguise ability so if you've seen X-Men films or read X-Men comics it's almost like mystique levels of ability to disguise and uh, uh, and our, our friend of the show Matt was playing this character who is called Sinister and Dexter uh, because it, you never see him in the same room at the same time but sometimes he's female and sometimes he's male which is a really cool idea for a start. Anyway we get into this situation where he ends up uh, trying to bluff his way past someone who should know better and has seen him from his past. So an NPC that he's named on his sheet like 10 minutes ago suddenly ends up in his story causing him problems. Um, and he gets thrown into into a cell in the bottom of a rusted out tanker floating in the river. So he's strapped to a chair. There's like a naked uh, flickering light bulb swinging above his head. Um, and he's got some thug stripped to the waist with a tattooed belly who's like a punching bits of meat to toughen up his hands before he sets to work on on poor old Matt the character and we flick backwards and forwards between that scene and the rest of the guys pulling their heist and no one's out of it for more than five minutes or so and and we basically me Matt and everybody's leaning in when it's like his spotlight bit we're playing out some really cool dialogue some threats some bluffs not a single hit point is rolled for because it's not that sort of game Mm. No one's making an endurance test. 
or any of the other ways that you would try and play out that scene. And actually, I'm struggling to think of how most trad games would even begin to handle that scene from a mechanical point of view. But it flies along. And it goes really well. And eventually, you know, this thug ends up like putting a horseshoe in a boxing glove um, <laughs> and cracking him from one side of the room to the other. Hold on, I'm just making, uh, just making a note of that horseshoe in a boxing glove. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's like a really good level of like, you know, movie cheese and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's all improvised stuff, but, but it's got mechanical heft to it. Mm. And, and when he breaks away and when he eventually gets out and there's all kinds of like, you know, it's a bit like Marathon Man and it's a bit like there's a there's sponges with electrodes in them being applied to his <laughs> chest. We got to have a really good time. And then we kept going back to the heist that was happening as well. Yeah. So the, the, there's at least two or three things that happened in those scenes, which I just can't even imagine trying to do that in many other games without it without it just feeling weird or not very RPG like because RPGs normally can't do that kind of movie stuff. Yeah. So that was that was brilliant. Cool. Yeah, one of the um like the heist we went on in Ian's game, I'm the the sort of the the, the witch or whatever or the the person who speaks to ghosts and stuff like that. I spent one heist uh, entirely locked inside a box. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz we kind of snuck into this courtyard and I was like under the driver's seat of the coach or whatever that we got in. And then there was like no opportunity to get out, so I just stopped there for the whole heist. But because I got some kind of these like weird abilities, I was I kept summoning one ghost after another to try and get them to do stuff for me and progress things. So as the other two characters were trying to like get through this like thieves' den basically and achieve a goal, I was ripping spirits from the underworld and trying to get them to help out in various ways or to cause distractions or anything else. But yeah, we got out of there and got the treasure, but I'd spent the entire time sat underneath the coach in a box. <laughs> As you, do. as you do which again I'm not sure how you do somewhere. yeah no, I, I, one, one of the early scenes from my local game when I just started running it was a, a similar sort of split thing and it, it's Blade sandals it so well like um, there's a, a place called Tangletown in town where uh, a, a Skullblander called Ulf uh, resides and uh, they went to parley with him and also sort of, sort of sneakily keep an eye on him uh, whilst one of the other characters decided that he would go and kill him and tried to climb up the outside of the boat very 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 badly and alerted basically the entire boat to his presence as like chefs came to the side to like pour food over the side on top of his head and things like that. So he was like running around, having chefs chasing after him and that kind of thing, while the other two were sneaking around the boat trying to uh, trying to listen into things. And you can flip back and forth between that stuff so so quickly in Blades with no <laughs> issue at all. It's fantastic. We were on the same boat, literally. That that's where the the. Uh... The, the horseshoe in the boxing club yeah. was in the, the uh, hull of that I love boat. Tangletown it's a great location <laughs> and that's really cool like everybody plays in the same town but mm. but your dust bowl isn't my dust bowl isn't anyone's dust bowl mm. but you can talk about it like you do with friends when you when you all live in the same city or you're reminiscing about the same city you can have different stories all happening simultaneously and I know that Ian you've played with that a little bit as well with yeah. having like two groups in the same city we've never met in real life or, or I don't even think we've met in the fiction but it's but there are little threads being pulled around aren't there? Uh, yes you've never met in the fiction I'm not sure how I would handle that if it ever happened <laughs> but um, what, what I've uh, started doing for pretty much all the games I run is putting out like because I'm I'm running a lot of my stuff online these days so like I'll put up a, a reminder a few days beforehand of like here's all the stuff that's currently going on so some of the new, some of the, the news articles you see um, are things they may or may not have done yeah mm. okay so um so no game's perfect and we've done like you know 45 minutes of shilling this system to everybody now so so what what are the what are the elements of blades of the dark that we uh, are not such fans of is there any little sticking points is there any little bits where we think we can be improved or maybe there's some gaps um i'm struggling but there must be some <laughs> yeah it's, yeah i don't know like Ian's a gap straight away. He's a bad German. He doesn't give me enough experience. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, so, so you, so you did. You did want that trauma bit. from last week, after all. Then, okay, good. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll, I'll make a note to to reverse that. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like, oh, well, I suppose I suppose the criticism. Sorry. Yeah, let, let me explain my point is before you tell me why it's wrong. Um, sure. 
That's not how the internet works, guys, and you know it. <laughs> you can stay up all night telling me why I'm wrong. That's fine. But first, you need to know what I'm saying. Um, so I think part of it comes from that. We've mentioned this little matrix where you've got kind of your effect uh, and the thing that kind of the top of my head. You've got position, um, position. Position, that's it, yeah. Um, so if you get if you make desperate rolls out of controlled risking desperate, then you get XP for that. And every time you make a desperate roll in the game, um, you, you mark it for XP basically at the end. And obviously, desperate things uh, come with a higher consequence for your character if you mess it up. Um, but that's kind of in the 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 GM's hat a little bit to sort of like to make give you the desperate situation. Mm. It's kind of an evaluation, isn't it? So um, I don't know. It's, it's not really a flaw with the system per se, but it's something that. If you're running the game, you've got to bear in mind that you've got to, like, it advises fiction first, but you've got to be looking for opportunities to make it a desperate situation if you're yeah. going to then give people XP for it so they can then click all the boxes and get, like, more kill stuff. Uh, and part of that's held in within the action role itself. So if you make a risky role, but you mess it up, then you can escalate that so that then somebody's in a desperate situation. Mm. Yeah. But that's, like, some kind of, like, fine detail of the rules that isn't. Uh, immediately apparent so for for some of the stuff that's good about blades i think you actually have to go digging about for it because it feels like the game's working anyway perfectly well but there's probably some bits that you're missing unless you go through it again with a fine tooth comb and go what else could i be doing or how could i have done that differently so it, it probably benefits from a bit of a feedback loop and yeah. after each session you might have to go back and read the text a little bit again and go okay is there something i missed it's like one of those kind of like great tv shows like um, arrested development or something like that where you watch it the first time and laugh and then you watch it the second time around and see all the jokes you missed the first time. Yeah, well, that's the way it feels to me, anyway. Yeah, that's probably fair. Yeah, it, it, like get, making sure those desperate rules are are spaced out and like you don't have a, like a fully sort of physical session with lots of like physical danger and the the car or whatever is getting lots of desperate rules and no one else like the social characters just sitting there going yeah whatever. Yeah, that that sort of stuff is yeah it's a bit in the GM's hat to to do that. So yeah, that's valid. I think I think for myself like it. It very much does what it does and does it very well. It it won't do anything outside of that. So if you try to do, like, it might do like really sort of political intrigue and stuff like that. But it is a, it is at heart about criminals and that kind of thing. And depending on the gang you choose, that'll really really shape the game. So like I've had some sort of social engagements with the thieves group, and that hasn't gone quite as well. And it has been a little frustrating for them because their their skills aren't pushed towards that sort of crime. So you do have to sort of tailor the game quite carefully for, like, what the group want. So we, we, when we, our session zero for the cult, we sat down for an entire session to talk about how the cult worked and that kind of thing, just to just to get that set up properly. So yeah, you have to be a little careful not to, not to wander outside the lines too much, I suppose. Now that's interesting. I was wondering about that because I I could see the downtime element of the game getting bigger and bigger as you get into a campaign as people take more and more interest mm, yep. in that stuff, but. Uh, in your experience, then does does that do you need to have the mechanic of the heist? Like you've got to have a mission every session, or maybe two missions every session, because there isn't enough there to justify a game in the other stuff. Gen- generally, well, like the, like the entire game is built around the job, so there's mm. there's there's meant to be a job every session, maybe two, depending on how short they are, or like if they're simultaneously like one job helping out another. That's that's certainly the setup, uh, but that job doesn't necessarily need to be a heist. It could be like infiltrating a ball and like speaking to someone or that kind of thing it doesn't necessarily need to be like stealing something uh, but mm. the, yeah I, th- I think there has to be a. I haven't had a session without a job uh, without me s- having a couple of jobs to throw at the the gang mm. and certainly I've had not had a set I've had, well I've had some sessions where they've ignored the job and gone for a bit of turf right. uh, but that's become the job sure. like going after the turf has become the job then uh, so there's always something in there there's always a, a job in there I don't know what a blade session looks like without a job in it mm, okay cool it, so, it might be possible but i've yeah. not i've not seen it yet myself i think the thing is as well you've got to kind of like work out how you go about things as well haven't you because there's like a planning step where you and it's not planning as in spend two hours of shadow run time de- mm. you know determine what you're gonna do but you decide the sort of the method in which you're yeah. gonna go in and we thought because we were thieves quite often we were trying to use like the stealthy approach and trespass unseen and that was just like it took us about four sessions to realise for our group that's like not the most likely chance of succeeding because no. between about four characters we've got one dot of stealth so like trying to do stealth based missions is not really what we're about no. based on where we've put our dots on our sheet so 
there's there's a bit of that we kind of need to almost like something it's like any game and you play it once or twice and then you realize what you're supposed to be doing and then you go back and make your character differently to do that or mm. you start doing the things that you've made the characters for because that's how yeah. you've set it up it, it, yeah it definitely takes a few sessions to grok i think for the gm and the players to just really get a handle on on how to make that happen because there is so much advice and because it is it is very different to most games out there and it does want you to run it in a very particular way almost in a sort of board gaming instruction kind of way it's like you should you should run things like this um, so yeah it does take a little while to grok exactly how that works once everyone's sort of keyed into that fantastic I've got uh, I have two mini grumbles and, and I'm going to go with two because I think the second one's applicable to all games but the first one is and I suspect you're probably both going to tell me where I've been doing it wrong really because I'm sure there's an answer to this is it says don't do loads and loads and loads of planning and I love the way it avoids that planning step, but it's also got quite a bit on gathering information. Mm, and, yeah. and I think that, that those seem to be counter to each other. And that feeds into my second mini grumble, which is that players, and this is true of every game, I know it is, but more so in Blades, you, the players have got to want to play Blades in the dark. Yeah. You can't, you can't <laughs> spectate no. this game. You can't, Waits with your arms folded to be entertained by the GM's florid descriptions, plots, and schemes. Um, you're not on anybody else's ride but your own. Yeah. Um, so you've got to be proactive. And then I think what that tends to do is make people proactive by going, right, well, I want to go over there and look at that. And then I want to find out about this. And I want to find out about that. And to your point, in going and finding out about stuff is not a job. Yeah. That's, that's just a bit of exploring and it's not an exploration game. Yeah. So I think that that. There's a couple of bits of tension in there yeah. that um, that need to be worked around. I think I think it's up to yourself a little bit as a GM and, and the players because certainly I've run some jobs where there has been a little bit of planning beforehand, maybe like sort of ten twenty minutes, and then I've sort mm. of called a halt to it. And certainly earlier on when I was running Blades, I let that planning run a little too long right. uh, until um, until I zoomed into the action. So yeah, I think I think some GMs will do it a little bit differently. They'll allow a little bit of planning, a little bit of chat back and forth, and then you'll sort of zoom into the action. Um, but yeah, well, one, once you do, it's great. I th- if I recall rightly, gather information used to be a downtime action only, ah, and then they right. split it off and said like, so this is something you can do as well. I think it's something you can still do in downtime as well. I don't entirely recall. Um, hmm. Yeah. It would make sense, but I guess you need to have a job before you go gathering information, yeah. don't you? I mean, you can. So it depends what you're doing. Like, you could sort of gather information if you've got like a long-term project. You could have a long-term project mm-hmm. on gathering information about a particularly elusive criminal or something like that. I suppose that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I think uh, to me, uh, there's only actually a couple of pages of it in, in the main book, and it's it just feels like a nod towards we know that players are going to want to try and do all the prep in, in advance. Mm. And they're going to want to stake out a joint, and they're going to want to like follow someone to see where the career goes, and they're going to want to do all these things. So it feels like they put something in there so that players can do that, and then you skip into the job and start doing the action. Yeah. Because if you just say to people, "Okay, you're there. What do you do?" It, like, it's a real sort of um, change of mindset for people to go like, "Well, I'm going to minute. I wanted to like do all this prep or something like that." So it it kind of forestalls you spending half an hour doing it, but it lets people roll some dice against one of their preferred skills or use some ideas and then just get a bit of scene setting and a bit of information about the world yeah something like that you can't you could also do it as another job like if you're following someone around that could be like the, one of the suggestions in the book is you can do a job to sell the job so you could like have a job of like stealthy following someone around for a while seeing where they go and that kind of thing and that can be a, a separate job that's you know, i suppose you could even make them happen simultaneously in flashback or if you're feeling particularly ambitious <laughs> well we did have a a couple of days ago, we did have a flashback from a flashback from a flashback, so it can get kind of pretty knotty wow. pretty quickly. <laughs> that's what index cards are for. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So that's all super cool. So um, my the players after I'd run it because a couple of them are games designers immediately started spouting off about a how much fun they'd had, which was very gratifying, and b wouldn't it be great to play other games using this system? Mm. So really difficult to not do that. And um, and part of the Kickstarter was to do a bunch of extra play sets of which there's dozens, I think. And I don't know how close any of them are to completion or what else is already out there. But I mean, just as an example, uh, people started shouting about like, why don't we play Shadowrun like this? Because <laughs> it would make it playable, to which I cannot disagree. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... 
So, yeah, Stretch Goals, Scum and Villainy is done, which is a sort of Firefly-esque, um, sort of Star Wars Han Solo-y kind of setting in a ship. Um, there is a cyberpunk setting coming that is by Harper himself called Neon Chrome. I might have that name wrong, something like that. Um, and there's a bunch of others that I don't recall. Like I say earlier, there's a Blue Coats one coming. Um, mm-hmm. so, so playing the police rather than the, rather than the, playing the cops rather than the robbers. Um, there are a slew of others planned, I seem to recall. Um, Neon Chrome was something like 70% done last time I checked. Uh, Blue Coats was pretty, getting pretty close as well. Um, I think he had some other city stuff to do, like some of the other cities in the, mm-hmm. in the world he was going to put some stuff out for as well. Uh, yeah, the, I, if, you, if you go to the Kickstarter and check out all the stretch goals, um, pretty much every stretch goals hit is currently in progress by someone somewhere at the moment. And no doubt, no doubt, like Apocalypse World, it's been so popular that people will start to hack it themselves. I think mm. for a certain backer level, the I'm not sure if the open game license version is out yet or not. But I know he's planning to put. Oh, out, well, I know he's yeah. planning to put out an OGL version. For I don't think I backed at that level, but some people have it. But some people will have it eventually, so they can, you can hack it yourself. That's pretty sexy because mm. it, it looks really, really hackable. Yeah. Um, and and I, th- I think right at the start of this this podcast, Ian, you were asking about like what it would be like as a one shot. Mm. That's where I'd like to see some of the hacks go. I'd I'd go. I would sign up in a heartbeat at a con for a one shot, which used the blades in the dark system style mechanics to do. Uh, there's a million different things you could do. I'd want to run a vanilla D and D game with it, mm. but it wouldn't be vanilla D and D. But the, the heist, the job would be looting the dungeon of its treasure. Yeah. And your playbooks would be your ranger and your paladin and your well, your rogue, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, that would be a super cool one shot, I think. And it's not a million miles away from that already. Yeah. And uh, there's loads of games I'd want to do that for. I don't think it's like, it's not the GURPS of, of games. It's not it's not gonna be your generic engine of choice. It's just not made for that sort of stuff. But with within what it does, it does it so well that you immediately start thinking about new ways to use it. Oh my god, I'm just looking at the Kickstarter page. There was an Italian crime filler version as well coming. Ooh. <laughs> Called Blood on the Streets. Ooh. Ooh. That was unlocked during the campaign. I'd forgotten that. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. And even if you go, I mean, I've just flicked across looking at the unofficial stuff. If you go to the Google Plus community for Blood in mm. the Dark, there's actually a, a hacks and add ons yeah. um, discussion group, if you know what I mean. So there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's one which looks quite science fiction y. There's a lot of mention of the. Uh, the scum and villainy one that you mentioned yeah. there's a, a Japanese sort of horror type one called Chris and Blossoms in there um, some guy's done some new stuff for the Roll20 add-ons for Ghost Lines which looks really cool and pretty, I don't know what Ghost Lines is but the Roll20 add-ons are good Ghost- and, and I guess that's a thing that we haven't mentioned yet isn't it, is that we've been playing it online uh, and the, the sort of packs that came with it for Roll20 are really super swish, aren't they? Oh, the and when mind. you want to roll dice, yeah. what you do is you click the thing, and then it'll it comes up in the uh, the chat box for you. And there's a, like a little flame background, and it tells you what you rolled against what and what the level was, and all kinds of stuff. So that like that makes playing online a lot easier. Oh yeah, I mean the the roll twenty pack is just oh my god, it's so stunning, it's really good. I mean I'm, I'm running Pendragon online as well, and there just isn't anything like that for Pendragon. But someone has gone, I really love blades, and just programmed a bunch of stuff, and it's fantastic, so good, and it's free. Totally free. Yes. Which is just not. Can you nuts. do Pendragon with Blades in the Dark then? Is it like Excalibur in the Lakes? <laughs> Who knows? You yeah, you might be able to. There's a Band of Blades was unlocked, which I think was was the a World War II hack. Uh, the the uh, Cyberpunk version is called Null Vector. You were so close. I, I, was, I, was pretty, <laughs> I, I just smushed some Cyberpunk words together and hoped that I was correct. <laughs> You sounded like a, it sounded plausible. To yeah, it sounded about right, right? Uh, yeah, burning velvet runner. There's a bunch of others. There's nice maps out there. It's just oh, there's just some absolutely fantastic, sexy stuff out there for blades. Really, really good. Fab, and we and obviously we're all thinking about doing it with netrunner, right? Oh yeah. Oh my god. I, the, when the cyberpunk version comes out, I am running a, a version in the netrunner universe without <laughs> without question or doubt that's happening. That'll be amazing. Correct. All right. Well, you know, stay tuned for the Earth Dawn hack that is not coming to you yeah. soon <laughs> from, from anyone. Uh, go, the ghost, <laughs> the ghost lines thing, guys, is a playset that has a whole new dimension of the game beyond the walls of the city. Plays the daring railjacks that deal with deadly ghosts on the electro trains that move between cities. 
Well, that sounds rubbish. I mean, why would anybody play that? Uh, now that that's based on one of John Harper's older games. So yeah. John Harper did Lady Blackbird, mm. which some of our listeners might know about, and Ghost Lines was another one of his little micro games that that is beautifully put together, uh, physically as well as mentally. Um, so uh, in some ways, you can see elements of that and its heritage in Blades in the Dark, can't you? So it mm, makes it yeah. kind of natural that you would go back to that line. There's a yeah. there's a dungeon crawling one as well unlocked called Blades Against Darkness. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. We could do Earth Dome on Baz. I reckon we could do that quite easily. Totally. If, if you've got your, all your cares that you're going to go exploring or whatever and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's cares in the yard. There's a few sci-fi ones in there by the looks of it as well. Yeah. Cool. There's a Shadowrun one. There's, yeah, it's just... Yeah. I mean, I mean interesting, I'm, I'm playing in a Shadowrun game at the moment. Uh, right. And it is great because the GM is good. But I'm not a great fan of mass amounts of planning, planning stuff that we do. But it's it's fun because I'm doing it with my friends, so that's great. But yeah, it's it's a very very different approach to essentially the same thing mm. when it comes down to yeah. it. So it's it's interesting yeah, yeah. to compare and contrast the two. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well that that's usually for me that's the sign of a great game when you're trying to play another game and your mind keeps wandering back. Yeah, and you're just like, to... mm, I could be playing Blades right now. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, and, and I know Gaz does that with Savage Worlds all the time, and I and I tend to do it with my yeah. with my house system du jour. It's like you're playing anything, and it's like, oh yeah, but I would I would have had this this down twenty minutes ago with the with the right system. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. I suppose that there's one other neat little bit that's in the book that I, I probably want to mention. That's got it's kind of got a play a bit. It's only like three or four pages long, mm. but it's kind of like. Your job as a player, and we, we discussed this in our last podcast. Actually, when we were talking about like you know, do you support the players? And yeah, there's all the GM advice, but no player advice. But it, it's good just to have that little, um, like for GMs, it's good. But to have a player's best practice and a couple of couple of sides of A5 to say, this is what you're supposed to be doing when you play this game, that really helps. Because for some people, especially when it's a different type of game, they kind of sitting there on what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to plan? They're frightened of doing the wrong thing. They don't know what they're supposed to do. You know. Go along with everybody else. They're supposed to be in their own thing. So just having like a couple of pages on, like, do this, yeah. get into danger, use your stress because that's the thing to do. You know, and it, it, it might be like because stress is a like a resource when the game that you spend to get extra yeah. dice or to do things as well as take damage on. But if once you're told that that's sort of like your hit points in a way as well, that's probably enough to put a lot of players off actually using any because they, they think they might get shot at some point so they want to make sure they've got a nice empty track but it's good to have that bit of player advice saying like use it like actually use this thing that's why you've got a big track so that you can spend it to do yeah. stuff I think one of the pieces of advice in there is like act now plan later or something like that yes which yeah, is exactly that. Yeah. which is like basically sums up blades in a, blades in a sentence <laughs> yeah. do it now think about it later what should I do? I don't know. Pick up some dice, roll, we'll find out. There were a couple of bits in last night's session where we we like properly messed it up. Yeah. Somehow, um, and then I I mean certainly one of them I was thinking, well we screwed now. I don't know what we do about this. And then another character's like, oh don't worry about it because I thought about this exact situation. And it's like, oh have you? Oh no, you haven't. But you're, you're saying you have, and now you're going to use like one of the mechanics to try and dig us out of this hole that yeah. we found ourselves in. So, <laughs> yeah, lot, and that's I, I much that. more fun than than like trying to make sure you don't fall into the trouble in the first place mm. uh, and avoiding it. So, you know, yeah, you avoid all the guards. Well done. That was an exciting session. It's much yeah. more interesting to go in like one of the guards is like having a piss over the wall as you're climbing up it. Now what you do. And, that, you know. All that stuff. That kind of stuff, yeah. yeah, yeah. Best bits about the, uh, the, the player of is don't be a weasel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to write that down on the card and show it people. <laughs> I'm gonna have a print print it on a t shirt. <laughs> just just hold on to people. Like, ah, what are you doing? Remember, don't be a weasel. <laughs> okay, so overall summary then what we're we saying, solid six out of ten. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love Blades. I, th- I, I think it's I think it's an important game for people who are writing RPGs right now to read as well, because it's fantastically designed, it's great fun to play, and it's very well explained. As mm. as a as an art it's a it's an interesting book to read. I'm currently reading another popu- uh, another RPG at the moment of a popular sci-fi franchise, um, and it is it is not an enjoyable read. <laughs> that may be what you think. I can possibly comment, uh, uh, but yeah, it is not a fun thing to read. Like I'm I'm running it from my group, and they're I'm enthusiastic because they're enthusiastic. But every time I go to this book to have to read something, I'm like, ah, 
I have to find it in this book. Whereas Blades, I, I think I ripped through Blades in about a day. I was like, this, yeah. this is great. It's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to read. And you go, this is amazing. I can't wait to get this to the table. So if you were, if you were properly going to boldly go with this RPG, you're not going to mention. Is that the one that's based on like you know teams of people going on missions each week? They <laughs> come to mention it. <laughs> yeah, the classes exactly the that. classes yeah. are red shirt. No, anyway. <laughs> there must be like a Star you Trek. To know, guys, what you do with all the yeah. stupid gang members? There's there's your genre. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't run I haven't run much of it yet, but there, there will be a, a full opinion on the giant brain in the, in the next few weeks once I've got a few sessions under my belt. Captain, science officer, engineer. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay, guys, when we start talking about crossing the streams like this, it's probably time to wrap up another episode of What Would the Smart Party Do? Because the Smart Party have got plans. We need to go and write stuff on index cards. And then show them to people. Just a random. Listen, Ian, thanks ever so much for coming on this week. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for the Games of Blades in the Dark for introducing me and guys to it and stepping up and running games for us. We are quite fun as players. You know, yeah. We wish more people would invite us into their games so, because we love them. And, um, no, and, thanks uh, for having me on. It's been a blast so far. Yeah. So, cheers. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks, Thanks of course, to both our loyal listeners. And uh, don't forget to drop us a dollar on Patreon if you can. Well, I, I'm, I'm uh, one of them, so one loyal listener. <laughs> oh, well, oh, right, okay. <laughs> Yay! You can probably just tell the listener about it, and then we don't have to bother releasing the podcast or editing it or anything. Cool. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're we're currently looking at getting a bit of a presence of Dragon Meat and all the rest of it, and that involves buying tickets and trains and all the rest of it. So uh, yeah, drop us a dollar on Patreon, and you might get to see us there, and then you can tell us what you really think in person. And if you don't want us there, drop us two dollars, we won't come. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And that's all this week for What Would This Part of What You Do. See you later, guys. Cheers. Cheers.